You are now entering the world of Blissful Living, broadcasting around the globe and on the Blissful Living Network with Rochelle Marie Lawson. Are you lacking energy, clarity, and that sense of true well-being? Are you overworked, underpaid, and know that you deserve more in life? You are not alone. Improve your wellness, wisdom, and wealth so that you can step into living the life of your dreams. And now, here's your host of Blissful Living, the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And I have a wonderful show set for you today. In today's show, we're going to talk about sunrises and sunsets. And I'll give you a little bit more about that. But before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, The first sponsor of uh, this segment is the Health Healing and Wellness Company. And you can check them out at, uh, you know, www.healthhealingwellness.com. They've got some great things that they're kicking off for 2016. Um, It's Designed to help you optimize your health and well-being, have more energy, sleep better, have a healthier sex life, uh, lose weight, whatever your focus is for your health and well-being for 2016, I think you definitely want to check out the Health Healing and Wellness Company. So again, healthhealingwellness.com for all their wonderful goodies that they have in store for you to help you just have a little bit more easier journey as you travel down your path to bliss. And then the second company is All Day Cable Inc. It's a telecommunications installation company that uh, focuses on uh, network distribution and, and installation of voice data, fiber, and wireless systems for telecommunicating in the global world that we have here. You can check them out at All Day Cable Inc. So I really want to thank our sponsors of today's segment. And let's just jump into the show. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Her name is Holly Kelly. She's a gerontologist, a journalist, fellow in thanatology, death, dying, and bereavement, and author of Sunrises and Sunsets, Final Affairs Forged with Flares, Finesse, and Funk. Has awakened the nation on final affairs planning with her groundbreaking and captivating new book. And I know you guys might be thinking, like, why are we talking about this kind of stuff, or why would we have something like this on the show? But again, uh, the show is designed to help you to reduce or eliminate stress in all aspects of our life. And death is a part of um, an aspect in our life that we may have to face with a loved one or someone that we know we love and care about. And so anything that I can do to just help you to have a little bit less stress when you come across these areas in your life that you don't always think about or that are not always in the forefront is what I'm here to do for you. Now, Holly Kelly, um, as a gerontologist and founder of the Ladder Life Planning Institute, the ultimate guide for life's final destiny, she she set out to close the gap on advanced care planning and open the dialogue on death discussions in a written work that would appeal to adults of all ages. But she aimed to do more And that was to encourage transcendence towards personal peace and stir a new enthusiasm for the present. Now, in the book, 
sunrises and sunsets, Holly tackles the unapproachable topic of final affairs planning with an interactive and entertaining soulful business. I can't wait to talk about this. Um, guidebook, workbook, you know, this book is a little bit of everything for you. This hybrid book is one unique and beautiful, inspiring call to action. And it really, again, you guys, is something that we all need to be thinking about even though you don't want to think about your death, but it really is something you need to be thinking about with regards to planning um, things as you approach that time in your life. Now, it's full of color photographs to the thought-provoking, optimistic, and witty quotes, and it's genuinely impassioned um, poetry and heart-rendering personal stories. She fashioned final affairs planning that appeals to everyone. And so with that, I would like to welcome today's guest to Blissful Living, Holly Kelly. Welcome to Blissful Living, Holly Kelly. Wow, what a wonderful introduction, and thank you so much for the opportunity to share this message and be your guest today. I'm honored. Well, thank you. We're very honored to have you. It's, you know, um, as a healthcare professional for all the years I've been doing what I do, um, I have had, you know, many experiences with uh, people dying right in front of me or, you know, uh, coming into my clinical setting, which was uh, back then emergency room trauma and, you know, being pretty much dead on arrival and having to, you know, go back and talk to the family about certain things. And sometimes the family wasn't prepared. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know the next steps they were going to, you know, going to take. And, um, and a lot of times it caught people off guard. And so whether the person was young or middle-aged or elderly, it still was um, quite uh, awakening to me that no matter what age these people were, there were always those family members that weren't prepared for that particular person's death, whether it was terminal illness or sudden onset. And so I think, you know, when people think about the topic of death and dying, you know, they think of it as a more depressive type of thing. And it's not something that they want to really think about because it does provoke a little bit of stress in people. But you have um, some wonderful information and insight that, you know, I believe will help people to just embrace it just a little bit more and be a little bit more prepared in case it is sudden or terminal um, that will help them have just a little bit less stress uh, if they have to deal with something like this. And so what I want to do is um, I kind of want to jump in because I want to know um, what made you, first of all, go into the area of uh, becoming a gerontologist. Well, I do like that you have addressed multiple times um, the preparedness aspect of what is so important in our lives, and so um, that definitely helps people if they are prepared to get through difficult matters, and it's a game changer as to whether one is prepared or not prepared as to how that situation is faced, so I'm so glad you raised that. I went into the field of gerontology because I've always been extremely comfortable with um elderly, seniors, even as a very young girl. And so I recognized early on that I had the ability to relate positively and interact well in even complicated and challenging situations. I think of my grandfather, who we loved dearly, uh, but he was uh, challenging and he was cantankerous and 
I was the only one <laughs> that could actually manage him, and the family would call on me, and I would just say, Gramps, we're not doing this, and you're not doing this. Life's too short for you to show your ugly side, and he would stop immediately, and nobody else would he do that with. So I recognized early on that I had the ability to somehow tap into uh, that side of older people, and even with clients, I've had children call me if they've booked a consultation and try to do a disclaimer on their parent and um, (laughs) how grumpy they might be and give me the opportunity to maybe uh, deny uh, the chance to work with that individual. And I would always say, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. And the experience would go very, very well. And we would connect. And so the the children would always be so shocked, like, what did you do? (laughs) He's awful. And so I did recognize that somehow um, I'm able to uh, share and offer something uh, to even difficult individuals. But I do love um, the elder population. I think they're so beneficial and vital uh, to all other generations. I decided that I would grow that area of interest and become a gerontologist. And throughout my studies, I became extremely fascinated and intrigued by how few people actually plan for advanced directives. Uh, Mm -hmm. Third is the average statistic, while it varies depending on the source. uh, I just thought that for something so vital and so important, that was a little low, extremely low, uh, thinking that every adult should actually implement advanced directives. So I just decided that uh, when I created this work, that I would define and develop what I consider to be comprehensive advanced care planning, take it way past the will and the technical things like advanced directives, and grow that into what would be so valuable for the individual and enriching and life-elevating and soul-soothing and allow them to use this opportunity to share their life with those that they love. So that is how the work came to be in, in concept. Wow, that's that's really nice because, um, you know, as my experience in the uh, clinical setting, it was um, astounding to me how many people did not have a, an advanced directive. And I want to say, you know, I'm going back uh, 26 years. Now, there, you know, there's a lot more people that, are in tune to what they need to do and how they need to have that in place. But I mean, literally it was, it was astounding to me and it was, I don't know, I don't know if it was a new thing back then or something new that people just started thinking about or, you know, a new field to study. Cause even when I was in college, um, you know, going through nursing school, there wasn't uh, any particular facet of gerontology. It wasn't until I went and got an advanced, a graduate degree uh, a few years later that, you know, that became um, an area of focus or area of study that had its own curriculum. But, you know, the years before it did not. And so it it always amazed me um, that, you know, here everyone, you know, the moment you're born, you begin to die. And it's, you know, I hate to say it like that, but it's really true. The moment we're born, we, you know, we begin to die. And so it, it's amazing that we prepare for all the births and, you know, all the, you know, yummy stuff after birth and all of that, but we don't really prepare 
for our death. And we don't, you know, always have a game plan set up for the family. Um, and so a lot of times you see families just caught in a, a pickle, so to speak, because they don't know what to do and they don't know what the wishes of that person who passed away was. And so they, they play this guessing game and hope they get it right. And it's just wonderful that you've taken this um, very expert field of study and created something that is um, sustaining for not only those that you're planning for, but also for their family members. So that's a beautiful thing. Now, with regards to um, your um, book, Sunrises and Sunsets, Final Affairs Force with Flair, Finesse, and Functionality, um, how did you actually come up with, I want to say, the meat to write such a, you know, such a book? Well, the book was actually began academically, and it culminated my gerontological studies, and I decided for my capstone that I would tackle a written work, and the area that I just really seemed to be drawn to was advanced directives, and I thought, well, that's going to be kind of boring. I need to spice this up, and so I just got my creative juices flowing and thought about if I lost my mother what would I need? What would I need to know? What would be meaningful? And I just came up with a myriad of different areas that I felt were important for somebody's living life today and enhancing that journey as well as their ultimate departure. And so I wanted to make this book inspiring and make it as much about living as it is preparing for the end. I turned this project in, and I received an email from Dr. Bonnie Kim, the director of uh, psychology and um, head of the gerontology at Brunel University. Mm -hmm. She said in this email, I don't think you know what you've done. <laughs> if you ever do anything in your life, you must, 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 I remember three capital must, publish this book. And so I thought, okay, uh, that's a good indicator that I probably got a pretty good grade on that. And I was happy, but I was still living in life's womb of contentment and complacency, and I was all good. And sometimes in life, things have a way of knocking on your door and making you act. So about a month later, I received a phone call from a writer who said her boss had asked her to do a story on my book. And I said, my book, I only turned it into one person. How did you get the book? She goes, oh, everybody's read this book. It's been all over. And I said, okay. So I did that story. And she's like, okay, well, I hope you're going to publish this. We need this. People would buy it, and, and we all want a copy. And so I still did nothing. And a great story came out, and I was happy. And then about a month later, I received an email from a perfect stranger, somebody I'd never met, a name I did not know, who had read the book. And it was her word that moved me. And I was in tears when I read this email. And it said how the book had moved her and how she had read every page, and she had just lost her father at the age of 94 and how much she would have loved the book. 
and she would have been sending him quotes every day from the book to help his journey in his final days. And when I recognized the capacity that this book had to help others, it was in that moment that I looked up and said, okay, I got the memo. I know what I need to do. I'll do it. Um, I will leave my comfort zone and I will do this. Oh, wow. That's, that's great. You know, it is funny because you're like, I just did this for a project, you know, for my studies. And, you know, it just kind of turned into um, a project for the world. So I, I could have seen it had a life of its own. And it was never about me. It was always about what this book had the capacity to do and how it can reach others and be soul soothing and help people prepare for their final journey. And handle unfinished business, as well as um, allowing them to have a well-orchestrated life moving forward. And so some things in life just happen to you, and I think we need to be good students of life and notice those signs and and act on them. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. You know, sometimes you discount it, you don't see it, you don't, you know, the signs you you know, you don't think they're real or what you think you're saying. You don't, you know, you don't, it, it, it's just like, oh, that's not for me. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you just. You oh, just believe me, it. this was like, I was happy living under my rock. And this <laughs> is a very bold move for me. And so I, I just knew that it was the path. And I always say, if you're going to show me signs, make sure I don't need a bread trail crumb. I need loaves of bread hitting me <laughs> upside the head. I'm a tough person to move, and this is what I need. And so um, it even got more interesting because I decided that I'd kind of put my toes in the kiddie pool, and I sent, I created a list of publishers, A-list, A-minus list, B-plus list, B-list, and my A-list was three. And so I know of writers that have sent their work to hundreds of publishers. So I sent my book off to three, and that was kind of me pretending to be in, but not completely. Right. I was like, okay, I'll go along with this. And everybody that I sent it to, it said that you would hear from them in about three months or more. Uh-huh. And three weeks after sending it, I got a call, which happened to have been on my birthday. Ooh. While my mother was visiting, which is a few times a year. Uh-huh. And it was a publisher saying, we want your book. And I'm like, oh my goodness how could this be? I mean, again, more signs in life. And so I think it is so important that we stop and slow down and listen and not necessarily with our ears, but be aware of what our intended path is because sometimes we'll miss it and we have the opportunity to do so much good and share uh, what we have with the world to make our lives better and certainly elevate the lives around us. Right. I like how you said, I didn't need breadcrumbs. I needed loaves of bread. And that sometimes is so me because sometimes you don't know if the breadcrumbs are really, you know, if they're for real or not. But a loaf of bread hitting you in the head is definitely something you have to pay attention to. So, oh, yes. Like is... Beyond blinking lights and big arrows and loaves of bread. Thank you. <laughs> That's so cool. Now, I know you've been referred to as the death wrangler. Can you explain to the listeners out there what exactly does that mean? Because, you know, the death wrangler sounds like the person that's on the, with the, you know, the, the, what is that? The Grim Reaper kind of, you know. So explain to the listeners what exactly that means. 
Well, first interview that I shared uh, earlier, the reporter asked me, and I wasn't prepared for this interview, but she asked me, what exactly was it that you wanted to do with death in this book? What did you want to do? Well, those people that uh, know me know that I am a enthusiast of Native American, Old West cultures. I've been, um, had and owned horses and equestrian my entire life. And so it seems that those themes seem to show up in all kinds of places, including my decor and apparently in my writing. And so when she asked me what I wanted to do with death, I paused for a moment and I said, well, I think I wanted to wrangle it. I wanted to be a death wrangler. And I didn't think anything of that. It was just one of many questions she asked me when that article came out in big, giant letters at the top, right above my picture. It said, Death Wrangler. And it was one of those cognomens in life that stick. And so um, it was pretty interesting how that came to be. Now, I recognize we can't wrangle death, that it is um, the ultimate destiny for all living things. But in a metaphoric, kind of philosophical emotional and spiritual way, the book, when the reader works their way through it, they do sort of wrangle death because they've alleviated the fears and they've done what you said early on. They are now prepared. And I asked the readers in the book, are you ready to die in the beginning? Do you think you're ready to die? And I acknowledge that every single reader says absolutely positively not. No. And in the end of the book, I asked them again, and I said, I didn't ask if you wanted to. I asked if you were ready, ready. as in and prepared, and yeah. as you are. Wow, yeah. and that's a that's a big difference, you know, whether you're ready or you're prepared. Because, I mean, you could ask a million or a billion people here on Earth, are you ready to die? And everyone's going to say, no. Oh, my gosh, i got so much to do. i got so much living to You know, I've got this, you know, all this stuff. But when you say, are you prepared, it's, a thought, it's thought-provoking because it's like, what exactly do you mean, am I prepared? You know, when I die, I die. I don't need to prepare for that. But in actuality, you do. And, um, and it's good that we have you and we have this wonderful book, Sunrises and Sunsets, um, because now people can be prepared without, quote unquote, being ready. And so that, that's a beautiful thing. Now, as I stated earlier, you know, you're a gerontologist and a fellow in, is, am I saying this right? Thanatology? Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. What exactly is thanatology? Thanatology is the study of death and dying. Mm. So somebody in that field has an understanding of the body of knowledge and the areas of death, dying, and bereavement. So, um, and then gerontologist is often misunderstood, and that is someone that engages in the study of aging, problems of the age. Of course, you know that uh, Mm -hmm. with your uh, career. But uh, a lot of people don't know what a gerontologist is. (laughs) I say, and a lot of people think I'm a dermatologist. I'm like, no. So, um, and gerontologists can be an array of different areas, social, psychological, cognitive, um, biological studies um, that they focus on. So it's very diverse and multidisciplinary, as is thanatology. So that's my area of emphasis. Wow. So now with regards to, um, you know, just the study of aging and the whole concept of gerontology, 
Um, what is one thing that you would like for the listeners to know that they probably don't know that will help them to understand um, the complexity of, you know, what what it's all about? Well, I think it's important, and I do this in the book, to remind people that every day is a gift. And I know we say that and we hear that, but do we truly embrace it? Because we really just don't know. We do know that there's a departure. We know that there's an end time to our mortal existence, but are we living our life in the spirit of which we are truly, truly grateful for that. And if we're not, there's so many things that are bogging us down. And it can be many things. It can be unresolved issues, and um, which in the book, The Kick the Bucket List, uh, helps you deal with. But I want to be sure that people are truly facing their daily situations and events with the most positive outlook and perspective because we all know and studies show that one's perspective, one's attitude is so important as it relates to all other things. You know this in your profession. I was on your website. You are all about this (laughs) and how important it is that we have positive thoughts and we don't let little things interfere with the life experience. I think sometimes we get so comfortable with everything working and flipping on a light switch and that there's light. So we get inconvenienced as we age by things that really in the grand scheme of things are affecting our life experience, but they're just really not that important and we don't have to let them. So I think it's important that we slow down, we self-assess, and we do make sure that we're living our best life now with the most positive outlook. And we're really getting an enriching experience about that because you can't give away what you don't have when right. you're happy, everybody around you is. So I think that's important is to not look at aging as a terrible journey. But in fact, um, the second half of life, I would venture to say, could very well be more dynamic and amazing than the first half. And look at that as yet another journey of which to enjoy and savor. You know, this is very interesting because I had a client I was dealing with this week, and he's a 78-year-old gentleman, and he's a physicist, um, laser, laser physicist. And so we're, you know, we're joking around, and I'm like, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're smart. You're like a rocket scientist, and, you know, and I'm, I'm saying, I can't believe that you're actually enjoying our conversation and you're laughing because you actually have a personality. Most rocket scientists, you know, or people that are super smart like you, physicists, um, really are just kind of cut and dry. And he laughed and he laughed and he, he said, well, first of all, I'm not super smart. And I go, oh, yeah, you are. You're a physicist. You do things that, you know, you did things in your mind that people... I couldn't, I couldn't even equate to begin to do. He goes, well, you know, when I was younger, I had no personality and I really was focused on, um, you know, doing what I did. And, you know, he goes, I never thought I was really smart. I just thought I had a really keen interest in physics, right? And so he says, I worked at Berkeley um, Laboratory for years and years, and that's where he retired. But he said, as I began to age and as I got closer to the point of retirement, I realized that I was not 
living a life that was enjoyable. I was not allowing myself to be free to engage in the everyday aspects of life because I was too caught up in the the physics of how everything worked and the molecular science of it all. And I couldn't engage in a normal conversation with someone because I, I just, I, he, he said he just couldn't let himself relax down to that level. He said, but once he retired, he began to, you know, realize that all that stuff he was doing and yeah, it was great. And he worked on some wonderful projects and all of that. It was all great for the development of our society today. But in hindsight, it didn't really make his life any different or any better. And what it did was it actually took him away from, it took him away from being able to enjoy the aspects of everyday normal life that people typically enjoy. He said, I never took time to watch sports. And he goes, and now I engage in sports and I actually love it. He goes, it wasn't that I didn't love it or like it. I just felt that I didn't have the time to do that because I had so many more important things to do. And he goes, looking back on his life, he realizes that he wasted a lot of time doing stuff that really wasn't important to anybody and really not to him because he be, he was isolating himself from the everyday aspects of life. And I thought, you know, we're, you know, I thought, you know, we're having this conversation and we're going back and forth. But after he left, I thought, wow, you know, he was really, um, in touch with where he is now with regards to his aging process. And it may be because he's, you know, aging and he's becoming more wiser and he's not holding on to stuff. But for him to say what he said, that he really didn't allow himself to enjoy the everyday aspects of life, the simple little things in life, like, you know, the sun shining or the clouds in the sky or the rain falling or, you know, watching athletics or whatever, um, he didn't allow himself to engage in that, and he actually felt that he, you know, really deprived himself of a really good part of it, part of life that he should have been having a lot more um, fun with and being a lot more happier. And so when you said what you said, it just I was just like, wow, that made me think of that gentleman, because I think sometimes people forget <clears throat> that, you know, everyone has challenges and we walk down our path and we all are going to die. I mean, regardless of it, you know, we're all going to die until they discover something to keep us alive forever. But, um, you know, it, it, it really is just uh, being happy and allowing yourself to be happy that you exude in it, that out, that energy out to others. Um, and you touch the lives of so many others when you are able to be present and enjoy, you know, yourself with life as well. So, um, again, your your work and your studies and what you do is just absolutely phenomenal. And I just um, I just can't wait to learn more about about what's in this book, because I think everyone needs to be in the process of process of planning for their death and not in a bad way but in a very good, wholesome, loving, and happy, and energetic way. And so thank you again for writing such a wonderful book. The rest of this beautiful, informative, and wonderful conversation will continue in part two, airing next week. I invite you to join us next week as we continue the conversation. Thank you for joining Rochelle Marie Lawson on Blissful Living. 
to contact Rochelle Marie and to find out more about Blissful Living, click on Blissful Living for You link right here on the Blissful Living Network. Catch all the Blissful Living episodes on demand and available for download 24-7 on blissfullivingforyou.com. Until next week, may your life be filled with peace, wellness, abundance, and prosperity.